Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. It was a phone call that Charles Swindoll could never forget. Uh, It it was from a young woman uh, whose life is sort of shipwrecked there on the beaches of Southern California from where she was calling. She had terminal cancer. Her husband had left her. Her baby had died recently at just two and a half months old. And her best friend had just died in an automobile accident. Wave after wave of loss had come to her, and it was just more than she could have. This woman's spirit was just devastated, and she couldn't take another day of pain. In whisper tones, she told Swindoll that she had a loaded revolver in her hand, and she wanted a reason why she shouldn't use it to end her misery. She was without hope. Without hope. To live without hope is to despair of living itself. One preacher has said that what breath is to the human organism, hope is to the human spirit. We are proverbially sitting still in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis. And, and, a, and a world is battered by injustice. Uh, and where For some of you, there is sufficient fear of the future from all of this. F- fear of the unknown, so much so that, you're, that your hope is running low. My hope for our message today is that it will be able to help restore and renew and reinstill hope in your life. This week, one of our members uh, was talking to a friend who had been, who after he had watched the service, he had read our piece that was posted, heard the podcast, and so he was talking to a good friend who happened to be a black person, and she uh, was, he was asking how he how he could help, what difference could he make, and what could he do to very sincerely wanting to be part of a solution, and her answer, her response was one of hopelessness. You don't need to do anything. It won't make any difference. Nothing is going to change. The the compound defeats, the the repeated uh, injustices had created in this friend uh, a sense of just hopelessness, hopelessness. It, It may come from a very different source of despair, but it creates the same feeling of that young woman on the phone that night, a feeling of hopelessness. William Ng said, hope sees what is possible, but is not yet. And hopelessness turns everything into an impossibility. Unfortunately, our enemy, the devil, wants us to focus on just the fact that is what what we want, uh, what we long for, whatever we may uh, have given up as impossible. He wants us to think about uh, and moan and groan in the absence of that which we wish to have. But God wants to inspire us, inspire us with hope to see as possible even those things that are not yet. Right now, we face the temptation, we face as a church, the temptation to be whiners like the children of Israel and the grandchildren of Israel who left to their own devices would have returned to slavery in Egypt rather than to face the unknowns 
the unknown's future in the wilderness. Slavery was more comfortable in their minds than facing those unknowns. Listen, I'm not saying that as church, uh, as we've known it for all of our lives, is the same as slavery in Egypt. Don't hear that. But there can be an unhealthy hunger right now for what was, the way it was. Uh, A new wind, folks, is blowing. A new wind is blowing where we see uh, loss and change and discomfort. The Holy Spirit sees opportunity and the kingdom growth and a new day, a, a great new thing happening in the church. If we could see from God's perspective, if we could see from the angle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we wouldn't need hope. For Paul writes to the Romans, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We knew, we all knew how to function and work and play and live in our pre-pandemic world. Our, now our lives are engaged in, in community with one another at six feet distance when we're in person, and mostly it's on Zoom meetings or FaceTime or texting or a call. We, we knew how to function, work, and play, and live in a world of racial injustice. But, but what will it mean for us if we're able as a, as a society to, to move ourselves down the road and live without this scourge? There is this great unknown before us, this great unknown called the future. When, we, when will we be able to hug and greet and offer a handshake to someone? What, what will our world be like from now until there's a vaccine for this virus? When will there be justice in our world? What will the economy uh, do? Will there be sufficient food? Will inflation rush at us? We don't know what's coming. And what rises up in us may be the sense of apprehension. There may come over us this sense that this feeling that we don't have what it will take to deal with all that is going on right now or the new post-pandemic world that is coming. We may have this inner inner sense, this inner conviction that a need is going to be demanded of us that will leave us revealed as being inadequate. We don't want to be revealed as being inadequate. The future is this unknown, and there is a shape uh, that we don't recognize to that future. And so we get to choose one of two things. We get to choose hope or dread. I'm glad that for me, I, I tend to to lean toward the hope side most naturally. I am so grateful for the people that raised me, for the teachers that taught me in regular school and in Sabbath school, and the influence they had in my life That so that I've come to be a person who just sort of naturally leans toward the hope side. Of course, there are times when I, I too leave hope and move to dread, but because of the influence of parents and teachers and the way in which I was raised, I those moments are brief and momentary, and almost without even thinking or without any effort, I return to hope, to, to, to hopefulness. Some have thought that they talked to me sometimes and said it's naivety, Andy. <laughs> I don't believe that, of course. I think that my actions, I support them as being based in faith, and, and with that faith filling uh, that comes, that brings hope in its train. I'm convinced that regardless of the influence in our growing up, reg- the response of hope or dread 
of the unknown is a choice, a choice that we get to make. Have you ever wondered what Moses, what Moses must have thought after, after he had decided on his own that he must set his people free from slavery? And you remember in the story, he kills an Egyptian who is treating one of his fellow Israelites badly. Well, someone has seen this, and the word gets out that Moses has killed an Egyptian. And so Moses runs for his life to Midian, where he marries Zipporah, works for his father-in-law, tending sheep for 40 years, four decades of sheep tending, a lot of time to, to sit watching sheep graze and, and be thinking about the, the hopelessness of his people back in Egypt. Will they ever have an, a freedom from the slavery in which they find themselves? But then after 40 years of hopeless thinking, in this realm at least, God's, uh, in God's time, there's this burning bush that rockets Moses forward back into Egypt, confronting Pharaoh, let my people go. There is the plagues and finally the exodus as the people are freed from Egypt. Our, our limited time constrained human perspective can push us toward dread and despair and hopelessness, but there's no need. Above the distractions of the earth, God sits enthroned. All things are open to his divine survey. And from his great and calm eternity, he orders that which his providence sees best. You see, from from our not-so-great perspective, our finite, frantic perspective, we we kick and scream and, and cave to dread and hopelessness because our picture, our picture is incomplete. Our perspective is limited. We imagine we know best, but when we surrender like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and say to God, not my will, but yours be done, that is a step back towards hope because it's a safe place to trust God. God, not my will, not the way I see it, not the way I would plan it, not the way I would orchestrate it, but your will, your will be done in my life. And that's a place of hopefulness. It doesn't mean no pain. It, it doesn't imply a lack of hardship and suffering and loss. Hope means that the pain and hardship and suffering and loss don't get the last word. You see, in God's economy, in God's economy, the worst things are never the last things. Let me, let me say that again. In God's economy, the worst things are never the last things. There's always something that, that God can do, even with the likes of Good Friday. The Christian faith gives us great reasons to be hopeful about the, the great not yet, not yet. To look out into the great not yet and be hopeful of good things that will happen to us rather than dreadful of what the bad might be. A number of years ago, Robert Morris, an Episcopal priest, was, uh, wrote about how one night there was this, uh, he's just getting ready to go to bed, and there's this major thunderstorm at his home there in New Jersey. He said there was, there was a, he loved a good storm. He just enjoyed watching a storm. And he told his wife, I, I love these storms to see how God washes his world. I, I love to see the vigor of nature. He said there were flashes of lightning and claps of thunder. And then there was this amazingly terrific lightning flash and right on top of it, an an enormous, enormous booming thunder. 
He then uh, looked out the window and he said he began to see sparks floating in the air, looked like fireflies outside. And then he smelled smoke. And so he rushed upstairs and sure enough, there in the attic, uh, lightning had struck the corner of his house and it was on fire. He didn't worry about it too much. It didn't seem like that big a deal at first. He went and got his little hand fire extinguisher. That didn't seem to put the fire out. And so he went to the kitchen and got some water, came back, and that didn't put the fire out. And he realized this was more serious than he had thought. He called the fire department. He got his wife and children up and said, we have to go outside. And in the rain, they stood there ill-clad. They saw the fire trucks arrive, and the firemen rush in and rush upstairs and start tearing at the attic to get to the source of the fire. He said that uh, he, he began to watch with horror while they were doing that as flames began to surface over the roof. And then a whole section of his roof was on fire. And he said that at that point, pure panic took over. He said he stood there saying, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I, I, I can't believe that I'm standing here watching my house on fire. He said, we may lose everything we have. All the things we've spent our lifetime accumulating, all my sermon notes, all my memorabilia, all the, uh, our papers, important stuff, our picture albums, and, our, and our, uh, the antiques we've collected from our families. He says as he stood there and thought that it, that it's entirely possible that our house is going to burn to the ground. He said that a tremendous sense of panic overtook him. It was like a panic attack. But then he said, a place from a place he still can only identify as a place of grace, all of a sudden, another way of looking at those very same set of circumstances began to take over his consciousness. And he said, okay, I'm going to give this whole situation to God. And and if, in fact, the whole house burns down, we will be after that in the same place that we are at this moment, namely in the hands of God. And and this God, whom I've come to know through the Bible, he said, is the God who can make good things come out of bad, a God who can enable us not to just survive, but to actually thrive no matter what happens. And he said that a kind, of, a kind of peace came over him. That no matter what happens to the house, he said, I'm going to be in the same place as I am at this moment in the hands of God. It just so happened that the house didn't burn all the way down. A lot of damage had been done. It took a, a fair amount of work to, to fix things back. And because it needed that work, they were able to make renovations to the home they'd always wanted to make. And so this this frustrating tragedy turned into a, an unusual, strange blessing as they made these great changes to their home. Whether or not we engage in life with hope or dread depends in a big way on what our picture is of God and who he is. If somewhere the church did you wrong, if somewhere along the way the church did you wrong by teaching you that God is out to get you, that from his invisible hiding place, he's just sort of watching and waiting for you to step out of line so he can smack you, it's hard to imagine why we wouldn't, from that perspective, live in dread rather than hope. But listen, if you can come to believe If you can choose to believe that God is love, that all of everything about God is 
perfect, not just good, but absolutely perfect. God does nothing that is not rooted in love. God is good without an ounce of badness, totally unselfish to his very core. Our finite goodness is incapable of catching up with God's infinite holiness. There is no human fix for our coming together with God. No human fix for our coming together with God from our side of the equation. In moments of spiritual delusion, <laughs> we, we may imagine catching up to God, but it is delusion. The only means for us walking together is God's doing. All closing of the distance, all the work of bringing us together, all the possibility of the distance being shrunk and our singing in harmony with God is always something God, our creator and redeemer, does. Our wishing to be with God is futile, is futile without action on God's part. We, so we pray, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. Keep it pure, because I can't keep it pure for you. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self, and mold me and fashion me and raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through me. Our response is simply to say to God, thank you, thank you for wanting us. Thank you for, for being, bringing us into existence. Thank you for our eternal future with you because of what you have done, are doing, and will complete. All of our hope is in you. Paul writes to the Romans, so what do you think? What do you think? With, with God on our side like this, how can we lose how can we lose? If God doesn't, didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone's going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, not hardship, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. Says they kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced, Paul writes, that nothing, nothing living or dead, high or low, angelic or demon, today or tomorrow, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. God is our reason to hope. He is the amazing God who can bring good out of bad. He's the alchemist God who can turn lead into gold. Our ingenious God, we talk about innovations there. Our innovative God can take just about everything and do just about anything with it. We can bring him all that Mike cause dread in our lives. We can bring it to God, 
and he can transform it to bring hope to us. God's mercy in your most desperate hour is found only in Jesus Christ, the anchor for your soul, the one who has reconciled all things to God already. The young woman on the beach in California who was talking to Charles Swindoll spoke calmly, and they, they, they visited quietly. He did a lot of listening. He made no promises that she would ever be healed. He spoke about Christ and the hope in he, uh, that he alone can provide. And finally, with a big sigh, she hung up. About 30 minutes later, his phone rang again. It was the same young woman. She told him that she had read a New Testament that someone had given her, some parts of a New Testament, and she had called back to say, I decided, Chuck, to give myself completely to Jesus Christ. I'm still afraid. I still don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But I want you to know that I'm trusting Jesus through this. He's given me new hope the one thing I really needed. And God can give us all that same new hope. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.